we don't actually get that many negative interactions, which I find very interesting. I don't know if that's the way we approach people or our way of answering questions. Or rather than being flustered if we get a difficult question, you know, we, we talk about things head on. At the end of the day, if, if, this, if this impression makes people feel a bit any, uneasy, I think that's actually really a positive thing because these weren't nice people. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner podcast. This is Chris here again with a special guest. It's Reese from SSTK Living History Group. Reese, uh, thanks for coming on. Hi there, Chris. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. So for people who don't know who you are, why don't you just give a little bit of an introduction to yourself and how you got interested in World War II and how you got interested in reenacting? Certainly, sure. So there's a bit of background. Uh, my name's Reese. I'm the founder and group leader of SSTK Living History Group. Um, as you can tell, I'm from the UK, and uh, my story is pretty similar to a lot of people you've probably had on the podcast before. Um, my interest started in public events, mainly. Um, the War and Peace Show, I'm sure you've heard of that from other guests from the UK. Uh, that was literally about 10 or 15 minutes away from where I used to live, so... I went went there since I was a small kid, really, and you know, like many reenactors, was uh, well, future reenactors was imbued by the amount of uh, reenactors that are in the in the second battle group, for example. So I got talking to a few of them, a couple of them were my age. That was around 2011, and it sort of went from there. So I started out as an SS reenactor, did that for about oh gosh. I don't know, a good four or five years, and then started branching out into other areas, such as here and eventually Soviet, and even later on Anglo-Saxon, bizarrely. So it's been, a, it's been quite the explosion of impressions, that's for sure. That's great. Um, what was it about reenacting that sort of appealed to you when you first started to consider doing it? I mean, that's a very good question. I mean, when it comes to how I've always interacted with history, I've always been a very hands-on person. I've always liked to have the feel of objects in my hand or to say, you know, this was in a certain place or this belonged to a certain person. That, you, you, you can't get that from a textbook. You can't get that, that sense of immersion, that sense of connection. Um, so being able to connect with this stuff and think, you know, what was it like to be a soldier in the Second World War? We, we can never get 100% close to that. But just being able to relate to what you read in memoirs, you know, when they talk about the weight of the gear or the, the, the burden of a greatcoat or a winter suit, you know, and when you read it and you go, oh yeah, do you know what, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That for me is how you really connect with the past and that's always been something I've been very keen on. I'm also one of those people that touches everything in the museum because I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> I relate to that totally. Um, that War and Peace show that you mentioned, that really mm. was a legendary event. And I think, unfortunately, maybe that's an event that is now in the past. Am I right about that? It's very possible. And I mean, I wouldn't be the person to ask that. It'd definitely be a question for the organizers. But um, it's been a downward spiral for a number of years. And other shows like the Capel Military Show, for example, was really stepped out of a woodwork and taken its place. And reenactors are flocking to it wholeheartedly in the UK. And I think that's a good thing. That's good. Yeah, those big public events in the UK really are, I think, so important. So many European reenactors that I know, not just people who live in the UK, but people who live 
in mainland Europe make the trek to go to those shows. And they seem to be really uh, impressive spectacles with maybe thousands of people attending just to see the show and hundreds of reenactors plus vendors. It's um, a style of reenactment that a lot of Americans might not be familiar with, I think. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the spectacle plays a, a huge part in it. But even smaller events, for example, I attended an event at Dover Castle on the uh, south coast the other week. And the, the level of interaction you get from very curious members of the public is something that I really pride myself on. You know, I love being able to share my, my passion with people, even if they're not interested in the precise amount of, you know, hairs on a felblusa, for example. But just being able to connect with people who have an interest in history and learn something they wouldn't otherwise know is, is very important. But of course, the private element and the immersive stuff plays a huge part in that too. Sure. Um, what, what kind, how many events do you do a year now? And, and how many of them are, oh. are public events and how many are private events? That is a extraordinary question. I certainly do far more private events than I do public. I would say I do at least, well, typically around one or two private events per month, typically one, but there are some months where we do two. Um, in terms of public events, ah, I'd say it's no more than six these days. It used to be a lot more, but, uh, you know, ever since COVID especially, um, we've been doing a lot more private stuff. It, it, it's easy to organise if you've got multiple sites, which is a big issue in the UK. You know, over in the States, you've got tons of tons of land, tons of places to go. But in the UK, you know, much of the land is sold off or, you know, is privately owned for purpose such as farming. So it can be harder to get those sites. So just being able to use the limited amount of sites we have as frequently as possible is very important to us. Dover Castle seems like such a cool site. Um, just to be able to do a reenactment at like a medieval castle, I think is, is so cool. Um, you know, what, what is that event like? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, in terms of the level of like living history, um, for us, obviously, it's, it's more about the setting for us, the place where we're able to put our display together. You know, being in an alcove, for example, from the 13th century and being able to do something like a, a unit training in Sherbrooke, for example, you know, with a nice office set up, with guys cleaning weapons out the front of the Zeltlager and stuff like that. That's what's really exceptional for us. It's the setting more than the actual content of a show. You've got your classic public battle, which, yeah, you know, we've all seen a thousand times. We know what they're like. We know what they are. We know they're not an indicative representation of history as it happened but you know it, it's still a beautiful place to go and it is fairly unique in the UK and I'm pretty sure around the world to be honest in terms of places to actually hold an event. Sure I totally agree with you that sometimes the setting really makes an event more than any amount of content or planning or what exactly happens that if a place is has certain aesthetic qualities or just a, an atmospheric quality or whatever it is that can really make an event um, that can make the difference between a mediocre event and an outstanding one. You're quite right. I mean, I'm sure you share this problem in the States, but being able to do anything in an urban setting can be exceptionally challenging, especially when, you know, sites that would probably be appropriate for us are probably considered very much unsafe and are likely condemned structures in all honesty. So just being able to do something that isn't woodland or an open field is very refreshing for us. I agree totally. Those are some of the best events, in my opinion, when you can have a, a realistic interior space. It really adds a whole other dimension to what you can do. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more about kind of your journey in the hobby. Um, obviously, you have, have founded and are running now your own group, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Five um, years strong. 
That's great. Uh, when you first got started, of course, you were uh, in a different group. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you kind of as a new reenactor getting into it with, with the group that you were in initially? Well, it's a very interesting question. And I think the crux of it is all about the people you have on your side, to be honest. Um, when I founded SSTK Living History Group, um, it was mainly from members from a previous unit. Um, we're all very good friends. You know, we all shared a similar mindset. And uh, I think the reality of the situation is we wanted to go in a different direction to the group we were currently in. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think there's a, a place for everyone in this hobby, depending on what they want to achieve. It's just we had a different vision in mind of what we wanted to get out of the hobby um so for me personally you know i was already while a member of this unit i was still organizing different scenarios different events let's say for example we had a a show coming up i'd say right we'll do curse 1943 for this one we'd all rock up with our own you know our own kit standard for curse 1943 there wasn't really any enforcement of the impression per se just as long as it was the correct division not so much a time period that wasn't an issue so for me making that transition to a group leader was fairly simplistic because it was something I was already doing in a smaller sense. Um, The big change came more on the legal side of things. So, you know, public liability insurance, for example, or maintaining relationships with site owners, we can use land and so on and so forth. And that's something that's been ongoing. And and luckily, we've just gone from strength to strength, you know, and, you know, when when you go from one group to another, it doesn't necessarily mean you have bad blood with another organization. You know, we're we're all great friends. We all you know, get on in the evenings. I'm sure you've had conversation about beer tents and stuff. We all see each other there and, you know, catch up and, you know, share, share our stories and whatnot. And yeah, it's, it's just nice to know that you can make your own path if you want to, if you want to see change in the hobby, then just be it. That's, that's the way I view things. I agree with you totally. Um, I also went through sort of a unit split situation. And for us, there were, I tried very hard to, make this as amicable as possible but there are a lot of egos in reenacting like like with a lot of hobbies I think and there was some maybe ruffled feathers a little bit at least in the beginning but I I do think that by now certainly everybody's friendly again and it it took a little bit of work and a little bit of olive branches maybe from both sides Hmm. did you have a similar experience um was it like a smooth process Um. for you yeah, mostly. Mostly, I'd say. I mean, um, everyone I know in the second battle group are absolutely phenomenal guys. You know, I'm sure you've spoken to a few on the podcast previously. They're all wonderful blokes who who do a great thing. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say we had a, a really an issue per se, not with anyone that, you know, is, is really active in the circuit. So for us, it was very nice just to be able to go do our own thing with very little friction. And that's, you know, that's still, main- that's still maintained to this day. Um, like I said, we still see, you know, ex-members or, you know, people we used to be in the group with and hang out with them, have a beer and whatnot. It's it's really nice that we're able to do that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a hobby. You know, we're all here to enjoy ourselves. And if you're not enjoying yourself, well, go do something that, you know, you enjoy. Absolutely. Um, what about running your own group? Five years is a is a really good run, I think. A lot of groups, probably most groups that start don't really make it to the five-year point and especially where you guys had the pandemic that probably um kind of hit you right when you were sort of reaching your stride there what are Mm. some of the challenges that you have faced um and i guess kind of what advice could you give to someone who might be in a similar position now who's thinking about starting their own group 
keeping people motivated through COVID was a very, very difficult thing. Um, I mean, SSDK Living History Group portrays various units of the Waffen-SS from 1941 to 1945. So if, say, for example, I had a harebrained scheme to portray this unit or that unit at a certain time and just trying to keep people motivated and say, oh, look, we'll do this event, we'll get the, the winter suits out for it, you know, and it was very difficult for us. So... I think ultimately, to fall back on my previous answer, it is all about the people you have with you. To be honest, and it's you know you could be the most motivated group leader in the world, but you need people who share that enthusiasm and share that drive to get out and and go do it. And I think once you do that, you know your reputation builds. And at the end of the day, we've always been a small group, and we pride ourselves on that. And we've always prided ourselves on quality over quantity, but. Even then, you know, we get people who say, oh, look, I want to put an SS kit together because I've got high quality here kit. I see you guys do good stuff. And it just it just happens pretty naturally. So my advice is if you really want to do it, just do it. You know, just have a dream, get up and do it and do the paperwork and just see what happens. Maybe it will fall apart tomorrow. Maybe it won't. You know, I think every group eventually has its day and I'm sure our group will, too. But I'm just enjoying it in the moment and glad I can share it with people who also share that enthusiasm with me. You know, I will say, um, having followed you guys since since the beginning on social media, I'm always really impressed by the photos that um, you guys put out from events. And I think that that, from my perspective, has been a strength for your group where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you got, had at one point like a tremendous amount of, of Instagram followers. Am I right about that? Um, personally, yeah, that was on an old account. It was pushing something like 9,000. But it's, at the end of the day, those are just... Any, they could be anyone, you know, they're not the people who matter to me. The people that matter to me are the ones who are engaging in the hobby or are involved in some way. They're the people I want to reach and they're the people I want to be showing this stuff to. Well, from from my perspective, you know, certainly um, I have been impressed by by the photos and stuff. So, I mean, it, I, it's got to be reaching people in the community. It's it's reaching me out here in the United States. Uh, <laughs> do you think that that has been helpful for you guys in terms of recruiting? Or do you think that like what you actually do at events and what people see you doing in real life is uh, a more powerful way for you to attract new members to your to your crew? I think when it comes to new members, I think photographs certainly help, but I, I don't recruit people off social media per se. If someone is interested in joining the group, I want them to meet me in person. Um, I want them to have a feel for us and for us to have a feel for them because at the end of the day, you know, it's not just about people, you know, finding a unit but it's about us finding the members so we want to make sure that they share that same enthusiasm they that they gel well with other members of course it's almost like a job interview really but to use an analogy but at the same time you know we don't forget what we're portraying we are at the end of the day ss reenactors and we don't want to be attracting the wrong crowd and it's easy for people to filter through if you're not paying attention all right well let's let's really dive into that then um I'd like to talk to you about SS reenacting mm. specifically. This is something that we've had listeners kind of asking about. It's always sort of a hot button, controversial topic in the hobby. Um, so you get to be the representative of SS reenacting for the purposes <laughs> no of pressure. this episode. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning for you. When you got started, what was it about the SS impression that, that attracted you? Good question. Um, initially, it was very surface level interest. You know, we were talking about camouflage. We we're talking about, you know, seeing a group that 
had all these vehicles, these half tracks and stuff. I'm thinking, oh, I want to get out the back of that. I want to be fighting on foot as a Panzer Grenadier. You know, that's what I want to be enjoying. And it wasn't really until later on when I started learning more about the topic that, you know, the more shady side of stuff that the SS organization committed starts to come to light. It didn't diminish my interest per se. I mean, I think you can look at reenacting on two levels the micro and the macro and by that i mean the micro level being what the the foot soldier knows or understands and seeing it from that perspective but also the macro level of you know the individual was part of a cog in the machine which is an organization which is ultimately being the vanguard of a racist genocidal regime sure um and this of course is is true in many ways for the german armed forces in general that um they were the sharp end of the stick for genocidal Nazi uh, exterminationist policies. Um, but of course, the SS, they had a, a particular role to play in that, mm-hmm. you know, as sort of an armed branch of, of the Nazi party. And as an organization like the Waffen SS had a, a running personnel exchange with, with the concentration camp system, um, it, it is, I think, a lot to to think about and I can certainly understand on some level I, I don't necessarily agree with it but I do understand attitudes of people who think okay well portrayals of the German army maybe are are acceptable but SS impressions are inherently political and therefore off limits and of course you must have you must have encountered this attitude uh, at some point or another over the years I have to think oh absolutely but we have a very distinctive approach to that which I'm really proud of I'm of the opinion that you physically cannot separate the Waffen SS or even any element of the Wehrmacht from the Holocaust and the war crimes that were committed by the German army it's frankly inseparable whether you're talking about what an individual did or what they wore eventually it brings you all back to the fact that they used slave labor and committed war crimes. So our approach has always been to be honest and critical about what we do. Um, one fine example is we had an event uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, portraying uh, the SS Tollenkopf Division, obviously very distinctive insignia, which is also worn in concentration camps. We had some questions about that. I said, oh, what's the insignia about? You know, some reenactors perhaps may try and say, oh, you know, it's a, it's a skull that the cavalry wore. But I think that's disingenuous. Um, we don't try to shy away from the things that were committed by these people. We're there to educate them at the end of the day. So, you know, I'd walk up to them and say, yeah, this is, you know, the symbol that was worn by concentration camp staff. It was carried over because the guy who ran the division was the guy who ran the, the concentration camp system initially in 1938, Theodor Eicher. So we have two options. We can either stand there and say, oh, they weren't that bad. What about this? What about that? Or we can just approach these issues head on. And I think trying to avoid or you know whitewash this issue either willingly or just through trying to make yourself feel less less guilty about what you're doing um is is just you know i just don't think that's the right way to go about it personally i think we should just approach this head on and you you get a better response i agree with way. you totally i hmm. yeah I, I think people make these arbitrary um decisions and i've even seen this with other ss reenactors where they will say um I portray this volunteer formation of the Waffen SS that has no recorded war crimes associated <laughs> with it. That we know I, of. That we know of, right? But it's like, of course, the whole the whole thing was was judged to be criminal um, mm. after mm. the war, right? Um, but they'll say, okay, so I portray this division. I would never portray 
the third SS Panzer Division. I would never portray uh, Derlevanger or or whatever. They will they'll throw out some other group that maybe was more, you know, evil. Uh, had more mm-hmm. in their mind more direct connection to the Holocaust, for example. Um, and I yeah. think these things really are. I mean, I'm, I would I would never tell anybody uh, that they have to reenact something that they don't feel comfortable doing, of course. Mm-hmm. But I feel that these these distinctions that we make sometimes really are arbitrary because at the end of the day, to 99% of the general public out there, we are all people who chose to put on a Nazi uniform as a recreational pastime. You know mm. what I mean? It's painfully arbitrary, and I think it does more harm to this hobby than good in all honesty um but you know there are so many events now in the uk that simply won't host ss reenactors it's not so much the fact of what they're portraying initially it's often due to interactions that members of the public have had with ss reenactors who have complained about it and i frankly don't blame them you know i mean how many times have you watched a a, a documentary about reenacting which is overly negative and, and seen so many things you've personally seen at events it's you know i don't see the, the issue there but let me give you an example. Um, we we do an, an event for the Hill 112 Memorial Foundation. Um, for those who don't know, um, Hill 112 was a big battle in the British sector of the front line in Normandy, uh, fought between the Frunsberg Division of an SS unit and uh, various units of the British Army. Um, initially, when they set up a public event to raise funds for um, their organisation, because they, uh, they, you know, they... they or responsible for the memorial at the actual battle site, um, they didn't want SS reenactors. Um, I approached them directly. I said, look, I, I love what you're trying to do. We'd love to be able to support you. Um, get in touch with us. Let's have a conversation. Um, and I, I got grilled, really, for a good 35, 40 minutes. Sure. And, and how did do, it go? I mean, what... Betray. Oh, it was fine, honestly. I mean, they asked all the questions you're asking now, you know, the hard questions. And I welcome those with open arms, whereas I fear that some people may either not turn hostile, but have a bit of a negative reaction to being asked those questions. I said, look, we can portray the 10th SS Frunsberg. They fought in Normandy. You know, if you have any concerns or queries, just let us know. We're always happy to engage with you. And we've been attending that event for two years and we're going back again for a third year. So it's clearly working. And, you know, we're the only SS group that's allowed to attend that event. And there's a reason for that. It's because the approach we have is, is educated and it's critical. And I think that's something that I think... Not just SS reenactors, but German reenactors need to adapt as a whole, really. End of the day, like we were saying earlier, you're portraying the tip of a spear of a, of a, of a genocidal regime. So don't run from it, just own it. I agree. Um, and I guess, you know, you, you kind of alluded briefly there to seeing documentaries, seeing uh, people who are um, maybe not the best representatives of SS reenacting or of German reenacting in general, offering their opinions. I, I certainly don't want to condemn anybody. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, at this point now, uh, I basically just shy away from journalists in general, for the most part, because I've seen how there are ways to m- make somebody look like they're saying something that they're not really Absolutely. saying. But, but let's, let's be brutally honest here. There are there are people in reenacting who have views that I think a lot of people find would find objectionable, either political views or even just attitudes about history that, you know, that I might not share. And um, I, I guess a, a question would be, how do you kind of uh, reconcile the fact that, okay, I want to 
reenact as a member of the FNSS. I have these uh, political ideas or I have historical ideas that I think are correct. And I am going to be sharing a space here on some level with people who, who I don't agree with. I think no matter your hobby, that's going to be unavoidable. I just think what we do in particular attracts that kind of crowd. I mean, if you do Soviet, for example, I'm sure the same can be true for certain peoples of political leanings and and across the spectrum as well. It's not unique to us. There are people who share objectionable views across the hobby. But end of the day, I've always considered, you know, what what my group does and how my group is viewed to be the most important thing. So avoiding association with people we don't want to be associated with is very important for us, hence our very strict vetting policy. We don't want to do anything that would harm our own reputation because it, it's taken time to build, you know. It, it's been we've been on the circuit for five years and we we like to be known for for being a, an, an educated and, you know, a group that accurately represents the, the Waffen-SS, at least in physical form. So, yeah, I think you're always going to have that issue. And, you know, let's, just, let's not pretend it's exclusive to, to SS reenactors either. I've seen it with army reenactors, you know, air force reenactors, all sorts. So I and, think and allied reenactors as well, oh, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, in a, in a big way. And that's not really talked about as much because, you know, it's... It, it doesn't seem so. It, it, it doesn't seem so well, evil. When, when it's uh, yeah, like sure. Uh, you know, SS and Axis reenacting is kind of politically charged and already comes loaded with maybe assumptions about what someone's motivation is. If you want mm-hmm. to to find fault in the hobby, but of course, a- a- allied reenactors as well are. Um, they are men who maybe enjoy firearms you know and they may be part of like a age demographic or just a general demographic that uh might be more inclined towards certain types of uh views that other people don't agree with you know so it's it it, i agree with you totally it's not exclusive to ss reenactors but you know let's be totally honest here the the waffen ss was arguably um the the most Nazi part of the the Nazi military, right? Unquestionably I mean, I, so. Unquestionably so. Yeah. And so for people whose interest is more into the, the Nazi side than into the army side, you know, maybe some of those people would be more drawn to SS reenacting? Oh, quite right. I mean, we've seen this for, for decades in the hobby, I think, you know. I mean, how many stories have you heard of either white supremacists or, or neo-Nazis infiltrating units? And that, you know, that, that's always been there to a certain degree. And I think all you can do as a reenactor is, you know, just be responsible for your own ship, really. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a self-policing hobby and you're never going to get, you know, in, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to deal with this sort of thing. But unfortunately, that's the way of the world. I think fortunately it's on the decline. I mean, I think in previous years it was a lot worse than it currently is now, but... I think it's going to be incredibly hard to stamp out, and that can only be done through positive unit cultures. I think. Sure, I I agree with you totally. I in the past, I think I might have um, said some kind of uh, disclaimer that people who openly express like sympathies with um, the Third Reich would be like expelled from reenacting somehow. But like that's that was never real. Yeah, that was absolutely always, not just kind of a a weird lip service thing and um in recent years i've just come to grips with the fact that you know there might be 
I mean, like, yeah, there's pe- there's people who are fascist sympathizers in in World War II reenacting spaces. There's just no way around that absolute fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and like I said, I, I do um, Viking Age reenactment as well, and you'd be surprised how you know that there's even in in Viking reenactment that that still attracts a wrong crowd because there's still a, a strong connotation between people with neo-Nazi sympathies and, and Vikings for some very strange reason. And that's a problem that that part of the hobby has to deal with too. So even though we are probably dealing with the brunt of it, being, you know, the actual representation of National Socialist forces during the Second World War, it's not even exclusive to our particular period, which is fascinating and horrifying. To me, it almost makes sense that people who are kind of motivated to look toward the past might be more likely to have for example, like extreme right wing or, or ethno nationalist viewpoints. Mm. It's it like it's not a uh it's not a coincidence that like progressivism is is kind of the opposite of that. And that and then that and that looking towards the past is is a, a different thing. I don't know, maybe I'm thinking too much about it. No, I would certainly agree with you. There's there's certainly a lot of truth to that and you know, I think sometimes when people say, you know, oh, wasn't this era the best? Wouldn't wouldn't it be great to go back to that? It just seems a bit like a dog whistle to me. But I think that's getting a bit off the topic. Sure. I for me personally, when I go to reenactments, I am I'm not really interested in what people's modern political viewpoints are. I don't mm. really care to talk to people about their views about modern politics. That that's just not part of really my life. As a rule, not just as a reenactor, but just just how I am. Um, but what I am interested in when I talk to other reenactors are their views, sort of about history. And mm. um, I just, I just like I say, I don't even really care what people's ideology might be. But if people are going to be, especially if they're interacting with the public, but even to the extent that they're interacting with other reenactors, and they are, um, they are basically using this sort of whataboutism, talking about allied war crimes every time mm-hmm. that Axis war crimes get brought yeah. up. Um, you also see this thing where people will identify with the actual soldiers that fought in the unit that they're portraying and say, like, we um, never did war crimes. And it's like, well, you know, there's no we in this equation. You were born mm-hmm. after the Second World War. To me, that that kind of stuff is is the what can be sometimes the most objectionable stuff that I experience in World War II reenacting. What is your sort of vetting process to make sure that the people in your crew are able to uh, realistically and kind of correctly represent this aspect of history? It's a good question. So let's say, for example, someone's interested in joining the group. Um, the first thing I'll do is have a, a pretty detailed discussion with them, you know, be that online or in person. But it always comes down to the fact that, you know, if you want to join the group, I want to meet you in person several times. I want to see what you're like. I want you to come see us at a show. You know, we can have a chat. We can talk about your interest. And I find a lot of the time people who share those particular sympathies often out themselves relatively quickly um, especially if they feel like they're in the presence of like-minded people due, due to the uniform or other ever misconception might be going on through their head so it, it's, it's always about knowing someone as a person like like you say you know what would they what do you think this person would be like interacting with the public what are their views on you know how the german army operated or how the ss operated what are their views on war kind of stuff i don't want to make it sound too forensic because it all comes part of a natural process of just getting to know someone 
But for us, it's very important because, you know, not only do we want to prevent people with those political leanings entering our society, we also want to make sure that they'll, they'll gel as people. You know, we want to make sure that they will, they will fit in, they'll have a good time and, you know, get the most out of their hobby. Because like we said, at the end of the day, it's, it's for fun. That's the, the whole reason we do this thing. So if, if, they're, if they're not, you know, politically, I don't want to say politically sound, because it sounds like I'm enforcing ideology, but if they're, if they're not, you know, if they're a bit on the extreme side or they're extreme in any way and, you know, they don't gel with the group culture, then either way, I just I don't think it's the right choice for them to join us. But there are other societies for them out there, I'm sure. I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, I, I almost hate to admit it, but um, there certainly are groups out there where people who are extreme in one way or another can find uh, fellowship in World War II reenacting. That's that's kind of just how it is. So, um yeah, I think I think it's so healthy for groups to kind of establish their own unit cultures and then ex- expect any people that join to essentially toe that line. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you're not just representing a German soldier, but you're representing the group that you're part of. That group has a reputation to uphold. That group gets invited to events. And if your group becomes known for something negative, well, chances are that's going to spread. It's only a small hobby. You know, people talk, and we're not just talking reenactors. Event organizers talk, too. So that reputation follows you, and once you lose it, it can be incredibly hard to get it back. Sure. So when you started your group, you guys decided to focus on a portrayal of the 3rd SS Panzer Division Mm -hmm. Totenkopf. This is viewed by a lot of reenactors as kind of an edgy choice, right? I mm. mean, this is the group where, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, Yosef uh, Mengele was awarded the Iron Cross. Uh, oh, that was why... Viking. Oh, okay. I'm oh, sorry. My mistake. No uh, well, look, you know, why, why SS Totenkopf, I guess, is the question. It's a good question. Um, so initially, when I was throwing around ideas for a unit to portray, I thought, well, it has to be an early war unit, because that's something I don't really see in the UK that often, specifically for 1941. I didn't want to do LAH, did it for years. Didn't want to do Das Reich. Groups like that already exist that do Das Reich. Didn't want to do Polizei, didn't want to do Viking. So I thought, hmm, Tonkov would be interesting, because there is a distinctive insignia. However, there's a reputation attached to that. And the more I thought about it, I thought, well... You know, A, we want to portray multiple units, but B, we're not afraid to talk about these things head on. I don't want people who do this for shock factor to own this impression. I think I don't think that's right at all. I think it's a, a very valid educational tool. And again, it's a unit that's exceptionally well documented. Um, there's over like 700 photographs, I think, taken during Barbarossa. So it's very easy for us to get right. But more importantly, I don't want the wrong kind of people to have the monopoly on, on a unit that can be and should be portrayed accurately. I mean, at the end of the day, VSS is always a, a tough thing to portray. You know, you could get you could get side-eye from, from wearing SS runes or, or a Tollenkopf skull, but at least, you know, if I wear a Tollenkopf skull, I can have a very in-depth and critical conversation about the Holocaust and the role that VSS played in it. I mean, good luck trying to find another unit that will do that. It's interesting. Um what kind of experiences do you guys have talking to uh, members of the public at events? I'm sure there are a lot of people for whom one Nazi uniform is basically interchangeable with another. Quite but, right. yeah. but there must be others who maybe are more aware of, of the distinctions and are, and are asking questions about it. Certainly. But I think the most interesting thing is that we don't actually get that many negative interactions, which I find very interesting. I don't know if that's the way we approach people or 
our way of answering questions or, or what. I'm not too sure why that is, but it, again, it's always something we pride ourselves on. Rather than being flustered if we get a difficult question, you know, we, we talk about things head on. I've had conversations at events talking about an M42 style helm that was likely made by Russian slave labour. You know, at the end of the day, if, if, this, if this impression makes people feel a bit any, uneasy, I think that's actually really a positive thing because these weren't nice people at the end of the day. These were pretty horrible people. And if, if the, the impression is being viewed with indifference, then I feel like a lesson's being lost there. Sure. Um, what, what about dealing with event organizers? You mentioned that um, you basically were interviewed by an event organizer and were given permission to be the group that represents the Waffen-SS at their event. But I'm sure there are other events that you're just banned from where there is no changing the organizer's mind. Is, is that right? That is true. Um, so Capable Military Show is one of these examples. Um, I, I don't know the specific reason why SS reenactors were banned. Um, however, for us, it wasn't too much of an issue because, you know, most of our members are part of other organizations, such as Diesel Darden, who I'm sure you're aware of. Um, so it was easy for us just to change to hear stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, I get it. Um, at the end of the day, event organizers aren't just running you know, an event to, to entertain us as reenactors. At the end of the day, it's a business. They run things for profit. Or in some cases, like Cape Military Show, they're, they're heavily involved with, with charities, for example, like the Royal Air Force. So if, if, if negative press comes down on an event, they lose the support of charities. So while I may disagree with a decision ultimately on a, on a principal point of view, I totally understand it from a, from a business point of view. So it, it's, not just sim it's not just a simple like, oh, SS bad, therefore not come. You know, it, that's, that's not the case at all. At the end of the day, event organizers have got to turn a profit or, you know, actually justify running their event. And if SS reenacting gets in the way of that, then so be it. I think often a lot of the time SS reenactors bring it on their own heads. Sure. For me personally, I, as someone who doesn't reenact SS, I do struggle with it a little bit. Um, if I were to be looking to participate in an event that didn't allow SS reenactors, it makes me a little uncomfortable because I do think that this distinction is, is arbitrary. I think mm. on some level it's, it's unfair. And it's based on myth. It is based on myth, and it's also, it's kind of this weird uh, whitewashing of history sort of in its own way where it's like, well, we don't allow the, the bad Germans here. We only allow the, the, good, the good aspect of the Nazi military that participated yeah. in the Holocaust, right? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's completely arbitrary. I mean, if you were talking from the British perspective, you know, when the British went into Normandy in June 1944, the, the, the primary organisation they were facing in Normandy was the Waffen-SS. It was the Hitler Youth. It was the Leibstandarte and so on. So it almost seems perplexing for me to portray, you know, the the iconic moment of British military history without the organisation they actually portrayed. But fortunately, there aren't too many events that are like that, to be honest. It, it, it's, it's the exception rather than the rule. Um, I, I personally really struggle with the idea that there is any aspect of history that's totally off limits mm. for historical reenactment because um, I think that as soon as you start to say, well, okay, this is this was too evil, this can never be portrayed, you're you're just issuing like a blanket moral sort of 
affirmation for everything else that you think that that is all right to be portrayed and that's not mm-hmm. not really how history works where you know it's not a it's not a comic book where you've got uh absolute good versus absolute evil it's it's mm-hmm. a lot more mm-hmm. complex than that in real life yeah, and it's i think that nuanced yeah and i and i think that um if you're going to allow people to portray members of the Nazi military at all, then it's, it becomes a very shaky foundation for banning other like specific aspects of that. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a kind of roundabout way, it's kind of bemusing because I think about the clean Wehrmacht myth, I think here reenactors would suffer the same fate personally. Sure. I mean, history is, is a thing that happens. That's, that's my view of it. It, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that there is some kind of like uh, mandate or onus to represent every aspect of history in a reenactment sense. Mm. At the same time, I do see value in reenactment as a as a commemorative thing to some extent, and also as an educational tool for the participants. And in that construct, I you know I don't I don't think that there's any real moral shame in portraying in having some representation for stuff that was criminal or or unsavory or evil or whatever whatever word you want Mm -hmm. to use Mm -hmm. yeah i i think i think we can agree on that point it's not what's being portrayed but how it's being portrayed i think can be the deciding factor um I, i will applaud anyone who approaches a difficult subject with with knowledge and intricate detail i think that's very important it's when it becomes hijacked by people of unsavory natures i think that this this sort of reputation starts to build and you know there's very little we can do about that because you know how do you stop someone's personal choice you you can't um but to see someone doing something right and yeah it's actually it's not bravery but certainly having having the heart to go do you know what i'm interested in this and i want to talk about it i'm going to show it to you i think that's that's very important and we shouldn't shy away from it we should be talking more about what these organizations and what these people are responsible for and if you want to portray it go ahead but just do so with intelligence i agree totally um yeah i just uh i just can't agree more really i you know i i think that you made had a good point when you're describing this as a difficult subject it it can be very very difficult to um broach these aspects of World War II, but I do think that it's very important. And I don't think that somebody is uh, evil or bad because they are interested in it. You know, I think that it, I, I, I mean, I'm interested in the Second World War. I'm interested in Nazi Germany. And I think that learning more about that helps me, it kind of augments uh, my understanding of current events on some level. You know, I think that it is, it is important and it is valuable. And unfortunately, especially in recent years and certainly in the United States, even just interest in this subject mm-hmm. has become sort of a moral yeah. taboo. And I think that's a real shame. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And it's part of the reason why I set up SSTK Living History Group in the first place. I wanted to change the reputation of SS reenactors. I didn't want us to always be seen as this nefarious group with strange political undercurrents you know that's that's been pervasive in the hobby for a number of years so if i can even make a small dent in that be it with other reenactors or through event organizers and i think we're succeeding in that cool all right so i did have a couple of questions from listeners people in our discord server had a couple of questions for you sure um 
Bartel writes, how do you think your reenacting experience differs from other German reenactors who portray other branches? I'm talking about what you actually do at events, not anything to do with the public. Do you consciously behave any differently or attempt to bring unique aspects of the Waffen-SS to the field, or is it just different uniforms and insignia to you? That's an excellent question, Bartel. I think it all comes down to the research of the unit you're portraying. I mean, let's say, for example, that you've looked into a unit extensively, found they were highly motivated, high morale, then chances are I'll be more switched on and more reactive than I would be if I was portraying a second-rate unit. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of the activities we undertake, obviously it depends on where we are and what we're trying to achieve that weekend, be it just an immersive, you know, living in trenches kind of weekend or if we're doing something a bit more active and yeah so it's not just it's not just uniform at all um if, if you are portraying a well-motivated unit then try to try to mimic that you know end of the day the uniform is just part of the impression it's not it's not the be all end all you, your attitude how you act how you behave is equally as important do you think that there are are aspects of behavior that maybe are unique or particularly characteristic for the Waffen-SS that you guys can can replicate in a reenactment context? Hmm, interesting question. I mean, outside of, you know, the informality with ranks and names, you know, for example, um, in the here, if you had a Leutnant, he's always here a Leutnant, right? But in the SS, he could be referred to by name in some cases, or just by, you know, first name, last name, you know, just rank without hair, for example, that was fairly typical. So we try to emulate that. But again, that really does come down to the unit and how they behaved in the field. Um, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly unique, because at the end of the day, these units are just like any other. If, if you're talking about a late war unit, for example, say, for example, I don't know, um, Frunsberg in 1944, you're still majority conscripts, just like in the in the German army. So chances are there's still going to be that typical behavior you expect of conscripts. Sure. Right. I think that's um, that's something that a lot of people maybe don't know. Um, the Nazi propaganda about the Waffen SS is still effective on some level to this day. Where oh, they're, massively! Yeah, they're seen as this this elite, uh, all volunteer fighting force, but that's not really the way that it was for for every uh, Waffen SS unit. No, absolutely. I mean, it was true at a time earlier on, but as as the war progressed, and you know, I hate to use that term, they're just like any other unit because let's be real, they're not. But in terms of where they're drawing manpower from, absolutely they are. Sure. Um, DJ Kavana from the Discord asked, do you feel like the Waffen-SS reenactment scene is in, a, is in a socially sustainable state? What I mean by this is some people outside the hobby may view Axis reenactment as more socially unacceptable than Allied, and further than that, Waffen-SS. So do you think with escalated political correctness, which you may or may not agree with, how do you feel Waffen-SS reenactment is coping? And also... Do you get questioned a lot on what you choose to portray, or do most people acknowledge that you don't represent the regime that they were a part of? Two very good questions. Um, to address the first one, I'd say that's a very regional question. I don't see that too much in the UK, so maybe that's more of a, a US sort of thing, to be honest. But um, if I was to talk about the health of it, I mean, 
there are plenty of great SS groups, both in UK, Europe and the United States that are going from strength to strength. So I don't think even with a, a tougher climate, those organisations are going to go away, personally. I think there has always been a stigma attached to what we do that that will never disappear, frankly. And, and you know, if we're being honest, should it disappear if we if we want to be... If we really want to be talking about the crimes that they were portraying, I don't think that stigma should really go away in in all shapes and forms. Um, so yeah, maybe it depends on where you are. Maybe you'll see it more than I will. Um, in, in the UK, it tends to be a bit more lax, to be honest. Um, if someone approaches me, they don't tend to storm up to me in the face and say, "Oh, why are you portraying an SS soldier?" They typically are more interested in the clothing, and to be honest they're interested in firearms more importantly it, it it's not too common we get a question on the precise unit we're portraying or why we choose to do it often the, the most common question we get is why did you choose to be german not ss not army why did you choose to be german to most people that's what they find interesting and, and want to have an understanding of it not it doesn't seem to be from a interrogative point of view either it seems to be more from a point of curiosity you know why german instead of british or why this why that and that answer can vary from from person to person you do uh soviet reenacting as well right that's correct yes 284 rifle division in the uk oh that's really cool yeah, I, I do that too as a side impression, and it's uh, it's so different from the German stuff. I find it to oh, be really absolutely. refreshing. Those mesh shocks are something else, aren't they? I love it. <laughs> but again, yeah, I mean, my interest has always been primarily on the Eastern Front, so it was sort of natural that I would eventually branch out into that. So it, it's all sort of come full circle with all these different impressions, but all still focused on the same topic. We'd take out some of our pictures from our events and we'd be sharing them with the veterans and you know they would say, uh, oh, I, I don't remember who this was, or, and then we would say, oh, no, no, like th that's us. A public show battle is a scripted battle where the um, Americans always win. It is the worst thing imaginable when you're in it. I've always loved helmets from World War II and that has snowballed into, I want to get a helmet from every country from World War II. I'm insane. The Reenactors Corner, bringing history to life. Well, Reese, we are just about out of time. I do want to thank you so much for coming on the program. It's been really great talking to you, and I appreciate your insight a lot. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, do feel free to check out SSTK Living History Group on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We're available on all three. And if you want to come see us at a show, just drop us a message, and I'm sure we can share our calendar with you. Awesome. That's great. All right. Thank you very awesome. much for coming on. It's been great talking to you. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Take care. Okay. So to Reese and everybody out there, stay safe, and I will see you in the field. We love hearing what you think about the podcast. So why not reach out to us on Facebook or Discord? Just search for The Reenactors Corner, and you'll find us there. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Your generous contributions, no matter how big or small, really do keep us on the air, and you'll also get regular additional exclusive episodes as a thank you. You can find details of where to find us on Patreon in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time here on The Reenactors Corner. Corner.